On this week's episode, we pay tribute to Larry King. I revisit the torrid love affair between Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner, and comedian and streetwear designer Chris Cheney joins me to discuss what fashion might be like if we all survive the apocalypse. That's a tease, and this is Mike Coscarelli Rules. You are so cute. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli? Mike Coscarelli. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli is here as well. He's the producer for this failing fucking radio show. A big hand for Mike something Italian. Well, hello to you. I am failed comedian Mike Coscarelli. I'm very happy that you're joining me for episode four of a podcast that surely cannot have more than 10 episodes left. And yes, the podcast is a day late today. Almost two days because it's, it's Wednesday night. And I know I promised you guys a Tuesday release. But here's what I'm going to do. Because I fucked up, and I didn't have an episode for you guys on Tuesday, we're going to do two episodes next week. How about that? How about that? Episode on Tuesday and an episode on Thursday, because I'm starting to book the guests, baby. The podcast world is a buzz. That old Mikey boy is back in action doing a podcast. So people want to come on the show, which is good. Uh, and we will have more guests and we'll have more, some more fun stuff uh, in the coming weeks. And hopefully it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I make a million dollars and none of you ever see or hear from me again. That's the goal. So before we actually get into the show, if you haven't done so already, press pause, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Tell a friend, send a text message to somebody, suggest it, say this is the fucking greatest podcast that we've ever heard before. It sounds fantastic. The quality is good. The perspective is great. I'm learning. I'm laughing. These are the things we want to hear, people. All right. So here's what's coming up on the show. You're only going to hear from me for a couple minutes because there's so much here on the back end that it would just be criminal of me to waste your time talking about things that happened to me this week and things that I saw and felt. There's just not much. It's been a, a, a very bland week. Um, but Chris Cheney will be joining me later on in the show. He is a comedian in New York City. He's also my roommate. He's also a streetwear designer. So we have a nice conversation about fashion. We have a nice conversation uh, about what it's like in New York right now. And we also have a conversation about uh, the fact that our roommate has COVID. Uh, he's, you know, at this point, he's more or less better. And I, I don't even think he's contagious anymore. But at the time we recorded this thing, uh, and really the last week or so, it has been a living hell uh, to be alive uh, at the Mousher Street apartment here in Brooklyn. We have not really had any contact with each other. We've been locked in our rooms. Um, I, I've gone out for a, a walk a couple times now that I've tested negative. Um, I'm going to need to get tested again. We're all going to need to get tested again. Sort of the uh, annoying, unfortunate reality of the situation. And it sucks, but that's what we're dealing with. But it does really amplify um, what we're going through here in this quarantine. Because now, you know, most of the time you're quarantining to, to play it safe. You know, you're letting certain people uh, into your circle, people that you think are being responsible, people that you think um, are not going to get you sick. In our roommate's case, there was not a whole lot that he could do. He's a, a chef at a restaurant. He's got to go to work. It's bound to happen. Uh, and it happened. But luckily... None of the rest of us have the coronavirus, which is good. But, you know, we've been locked in all week. 
Uh, I don't feel like I've moved my body in about, I don't know, seven days, about a full week at this point, which is unfortunate. Um, I have just been staring at screens. My eyes feel like they are going to melt out of my face and that sucks. Um, but again, I know I'm a day late here with the release of this podcast, but the thing that it did allow me to do was the thing that I've been promising and saying that I've wanted to do for a really long time, which is I finally got this Frank Sinatra, Ava Gardner, uh, torrid love affair piece done. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, before we get into that, the only thing I wanted to talk about, because uh, it's very sad that we no longer have Larry King with us. Larry King is really a, a broadcasting icon and legend, innovator, and he was so good. I know Howard Stern gets a lot of credit for being probably the best interviewer on the planet right now, uh, interviewer in media. Um, the more that I've spent the week watching, everybody's running these uh, in memorial packages of Larry King. I got to say, no disrespect to, to Stern, because he's he's great. But Larry King's a goat, man. He uh, You forget how good he was, because he's he's sort of been, in some ways, MIA for the past couple years. Uh, you know, he's, I think he was doing a, sh- a show on Hulu, maybe, that I don't, I don't know that people watched. Maybe they did, I don't know. But um, when he was on CNN... My fucking God. I mean, he was he was a huge deal for a reason. He was so good at what he did. But there's just things you forget about. And I mean, forget the fact that he was he's he's weirdly, even though he's an interviewer um, and a talk show host, he's he's sort of a talk show host. He's more he's more a more hard edged uh, Regis Philbin. You know, because I don't really remember Regis Philbin doing any hard nosed interviews, but uh, sort of a consummate TV personality. That's really what, what he did. It, Regis wasn't an actor, nor obviously Larry King wasn't an actor either. But they were just guys that they were consummate hosts. They were TV hosts. Kind of funny, pretty funny, I guess. Even Regis, funny. You just like him. He just knows how to you know, hit a post. He knows how to lead a show, whether it's the the talk show in the morning or Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Same thing with Larry King. Larry King can just host his ass off. Uh, he's just a uh, a natural broadcaster. But beyond that, beyond the obvious, where he was brought into situations where he was sort of allowed to be himself, which was a really funny old Jewish man <laughs> from Brooklyn. At times he would do you know appearances with Conan and and all that stuff. Um, he was just a great hard nosed interviewer. I was watching one of these clips. He, he interviewed he interviewed Gaddafi in Libya. A small Jewish man uh, went into Libya during the revolution to talk to a a very very scary and dangerous man um, and ask him tough questions in a country that I don't believe has any sort of free press. Not at that time, at least, um, and didn't budge. Gaddafi is staring at you got to watch this clip. He Gaddafi is staring at Larry King like he is going to gut him and take all of his organs out and hang them on the fence outside of the palace. And Larry King does not back down. He asks him questions about the revolution. He asks him all sorts of stuff that I would imagine would get uh, journalists uh, in their own country killed. Uh, And that takes balls, man. I am really upset that he is gone. Because 
the other aspect of of Larry King's existence uh, for his career, at least, is he is proof that not anybody can do this. Um, and listen, I, I have to call myself out on this, too. I get a little arrogant sometimes thinking that I'm uh, better at this than than uh, pick whoever you want. Pick a name. I, I don't know. I think I'm great at this. But it's an ego check to actually watch somebody who has who did this for 50 years, probably even more than that. I don't actually know how long he broadcasted for, but for somebody who did this for probably ha- more than half of his life, um, uh, he just he was an actual professional. Um, and it is one of the benefits of having of, of him not being part of a do it yourself media generation of, you know, put the. Pull the phone out, uh, pick up the microphone, start a podcast. He learned how to do this from professionals and he paid his dues to get where he was. Interviewing Sinatra as a young man, you know, uh, becoming friends with Jackie Gleason, moving to other markets, moving to Miami, which is not the smallest market, but moving from place to place to, to learn how to be a broadcaster, which used to be sort of part of the career. You get really good. And then eventually, if you're as good as Larry King, you get the CNN show. And somewhere along the line, we decided that that route is not necessary. And maybe it's not. There are people that are naturals at this and, and can learn how to do it and, or just have a, a natural spark for it and, you know, uh, can figure out the broadcasting thing. But Larry really is, he is the, I mean, literally, well, he's not the last of a dying breed anymore because he is uh, unfortunately no longer with us. But <laughs> phrasing is important. It's it's just sad because this that generation's dying off and you know all we're left with is uh, Jake Paul and um, Lily Singh and those are our next great broadcasters. Sucks. Anyway, moving on. This next piece that's coming up. Um, this was something that I, I've said. Uh, I've, I really wanted to flex my muscle a little bit on creating scripted long form production pieces for the show. Because I want to tell different stories, more intricate stories, and they're going to vary. Uh, in this case, the story of Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner and, and their their torrid love affair, which was just uh, unbelievably messy. I sort of got this idea uh, during the summer because I'm very fascinated by these old timey Hollywood affairs. There's a million of them. Um, where these two people who let's be serious if you're in show business you are a a and you are in uh inconsolable level of insecure and you have an insatiable need um for instant gratification let's just call it what it is if you're a, a very famous person to some degree you're going to need to be reinforced constantly and because of that, we get these just fucking train wreck relationships. Um, and it's just super fascinating and interesting. And in, in the case of Frank and Ava, which I will explain in the next segment, in a lot of ways, it felt very similar to what I was going through when I was going through my breakup uh, during the quarantine. So I hit the notebook. I started researching this thing and uh, I turned it into a piece that you're going to hear in just a second. Now, before we get to it, 
I really do want to hear from you guys and hear if you like this stuff, because if not, um, I don't need to keep doing this specific thing. I would love to investigate more of these Hollywood scandals and love affairs because I think it's super interesting. And, you know, there's other things that I want to do in this little second section of the podcast. But if you guys like this stuff and think it's interesting or think it's funny or it gets you in your feels emotionally... I really do want to know. DM me at Mike Coscarelli on Instagram or Twitter. I don't check Twitter as much, but um, send a DM there. Or you can email the show, coscrules at gmail.com, C-O-S-C-R-U-L-E-S at gmail.com. Seriously, I just want to know, because this took me the whole fucking week. And if you guys don't like it, I won't do it again. How about that? But your feedback is very important. Uh, and I just want to know that I'm on the right track doing some stuff that the audience is, uh, connecting with because otherwise, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get some sleep and, um, relax a little more than I did this week. All right. So I think it's time to get on with the show. Um, Again, if you haven't done so, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I really appreciate that. Negative feedback, send it my way. Send it to me directly. We'll deal with it in the family, okay? Don't put it out there for everybody else to see. Never let somebody outside the family know what you're thinking, okay? Remember that. And you are all part of my family. You are part of the cult of Coscarelli. Never forget that. So we have Frank and Ava coming up next, and then we have Chris Cheney, streetwear designer and comedian and podcast host, coming up on the other side. All right, let's get to it. Okay, we're back on Mike Coscarelli Rules. So this is something that I've been planning and something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. As you guys know, I've obviously wanted to have portions of a show that allowed me to script and produce content that was a little more long form, whether that was funny or not. And in this case, it is more likely to be not. Some of you may know that this year, in the throes of the pandemic, I got dumped by the woman that I thought I was going to marry. After several tumultuous years together, back and forth, we decided mutually to call it quits. Until it wasn't mutual. What started off as a decision that seemed obvious for both of us to grow and become more complete and happier people, eventually became remorseful. And as time passed, it became clear that only one of us was feeling this way. It's a tough headspace to be in. To feel like you're in the process of putting your entire life back together and slowly picking yourself up off the ground, while the person who put you there is living their lives to the fullest with complete apathy for your heartbreak. Throughout the months when I was grieving for the relationship, I was restless and depressed, and I was a bit unsure that I could ever get my confidence back. So I started thinking about the person that I was before the relationship, someone who was confident and sure of himself, someone who had a purpose and knew exactly what he was doing with his life. In a time of crisis, I went back to basics, and I started re-examining the men that I admired and aspired to be like when I felt my best. When I did this, I started with the only person that made sense in my Ginzo olive oil brain. Francis Albert Sinatra. Night and day You are the one 
The man was one of my first idols, because growing up in an Italian household, he was the coolest guy in the world. Personified calm and class and poise and style. I always figured that Sinatra spent his life enjoying himself with his friends, drinking top-shelf liquor with gangsters, and wooing any woman he felt like with a wink and a quick line. And the more I learned about one of my idols below the surface, most of that was true. Most of it. What I never knew growing up was that the man who was a sex icon and seemed pretty much irresistible absolutely lost his fucking mind over a woman. To be fair, it wasn't just any woman. It was Ava Gardner, probably one of the most beautiful movie stars in the history of Hollywood. But to learn that someone who appeared to be utterly unflappable was, in fact, flappable was new and extremely surprising information for me. Now, how do I bring this back to me? Because, you know, after all, this is my podcast. My name is in the title. Well, learning that Frank Sinatra, the literal god of every Italian household, could allow himself to be dragged through the mud by someone who seemingly didn't really like him that much almost makes him more human and relatable. Now, like every relationship... There's two people involved. Although it would be great to make this a story about Frank Sinatra, the victim, and through my lens, he is. Perhaps that's the problem. I identify with the man whose love was unrequited. At a time in his life when his career stalled, he was broke, and he poured his entire being into loving a woman who, frankly, didn't need that shit. She was literally the hottest woman on the planet, and he was afraid to lose her because she was all he had. However, that does not excuse the fact that Frank did some desperate and toxic stuff to this woman to try to keep her from leaving him, and that really shouldn't be ignored or romanticized. And honestly, my opinion on the affair even changed as I was researching and producing the piece. The truth is that Ava Gardner wasn't a villain. This is just a period in his life where Sinatra was kind of a jerk-off. Couldn't seem to make a single positive decision that would stabilize his life or his mental health. So now, um, raise your hand if you haven't been there. The only truth in this tale is that love makes us do manic and idiotic things, which we all know. But when they're Hollywood icons, the people involved seem larger than life and immune to gut-wrenching rejection and human emotion like we, the common folk of the world, feel on a regular basis. But as it turns out, stars, they're just like us. So, without any further ado, this is the love story of Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner. Hollywood. Sometime in the early 1940s, a young actress named Ava Gardner is slowly piecing together a film career, being cast in small parts in MGM movies headlined by icons like John Wayne, Joan Crawford, and Judy Garland. Her star is rising, and a lot of people are starting to pay attention, including a young saloon singer, new in town from New York City. Good morning. My name is Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra had moved out to the coast to make the leap from being a dreamy kid singer to a Hollywood leading man. But landing roles in movies isn't the only thing on his mind. Friends close to Sinatra say that after seeing a photo of Ava, he said, quote, I'm going to marry that woman, unquote. And although that's very romantic and storybook, and let's be serious, a little insane, there's one other small problem. They're both already married. Sinatra is married to Nancy Barbado 
who was his childhood sweetheart from New Jersey. And not only are they married, but they have three kids. Ava Gardner is married to Mickey Rooney, who many of you may remember from pretending to be Chinese in Breakfast at Tiffany's, which at this point is still about 20 years away from being made. Fast forward. Now it's 1943 and we're in a nightclub in Los Angeles. The air is smoky and jazz music plays as couples dance shoulder to shoulder, which by the way, I don't have any evidence of, but it's safe to assume. Ava is out for the night with her husband and our friend, the pretend Chinaman. And who should appear but old Blue Eyes himself? This is the first time Ava and Frank meet in person, and Sinatra lays it on pretty thick. Allegedly, his line is, If I'd seen you first, honey, I'd have married you myself. Fucking smooth. The seed is planted. Several years of flirtation ensue. Frank speaks highly of Ava telling his friends around town, that broad's got class. Still married, Sinatra sparks affairs with other starlets, most notably Lana Turner, to occupy himself. Ava divorces future Asian icon, Mickey Rooney. Her career begins to take off, and as she makes the jump to leading lady, she marries again, this time to band leader Artie Shaw, who, ironically, was formerly married to Lana Turner. Small town. This is 1945. It's now 1946. And Ava is divorcing Artie Shaw. If you're still paying attention, that's a marriage that lasted one year. Frank and Ava's careers are both riding high. They're famous as hell, they're beautiful, and now only one of them is married. It's 1949. At a party in Palm Springs, Frank and Ava dance and laugh and kiss and spend the night together for the first time. Frank tells Ava that he's been over his wife Nancy for years. The affair begins. Not only that, it quickly becomes one of the worst kept secrets in Hollywood. It's a time where gossip columnists in print still had power of persuasion over an audience of readers. And writers like Luella Parsons and Sheila Graham use that power to shine a spotlight on the affair and ice out some of Sinatra's more conservative audience. This catches the attention of Louis B. Mayer, the head of MGM Studios, who now has to worry about the image of both his biggest starlet and Frank, whose audience is slowly fading away by the end of the 40s. A public affair is bad for business. Movies are bombing. And not to mention, Frank blows through $11 million in six years and can't pay his taxes. He's broke. Louis B. Mayer rips up Sinatra's contract with MGM, and that's it for his movie career. Valentine's Day, 1951. Nancy Barbado gives Frank the gift he has so long awaited, a romantic and highly publicized divorce. Frank and Ava can now live in public as a couple. Frank is quoted telling Ava, all of my life, being a singer was the most important thing in the world. Now, you're all I want. Which really works out, because only months later, after releasing a slew of terrible, kitschy records that flat out do not sell, Columbia Records releases Frank from his recording contract. Ava, on the other hand, is becoming one of the biggest actresses in Hollywood, which is great, because someone has to keep the lights on. It's November 7th, 1951. Frank and Ava are finally married in Philadelphia. This is when the fireworks start. 
they quickly become notorious for getting hammered, arguing, and making up passionately. High highs and low lows. Drinking heavily and effectively unemployed, Sinatra becomes insecure and jealous and begins to act out to keep Ava's affection as she becomes an A-list actress and an American sex symbol. The first of these incidents comes after a fight in a hotel suite. Ava is half asleep when she hears two gunshots fired in the room next door. Thinking the worst, she rushes in, only to find Frank laying on the floor, having blown two holes into the mattress. It's a cry for help, and the first of his four suicide attempts during the marriage. Four. It's 1953. The last two years have been rocky. Ava is one of the biggest stars in the world and is constantly on location filming movies and exotic destinations. She's also already fed up with Frank, who's become a handful with the drinking and the acting out. She's having one-night stands on the regular while on set. At this point, Frank is quite literally chasing his wife around the world from locale to locale and borrowing money to do so. It's documented in the press, and it's a public embarrassment. One of these destinations is Africa where Ava is shooting a film called Mugambo. Ava tells Frank that she's pregnant with their first child, and Frank is ecstatic. Ava is less so, feeling that Frank is unstable and unsuitable to raise their child. Behind his back, she flies to London and has the child aborted, the first of two abortions during the marriage. Mugambo raps, and already feeling at the end of her rope, instead of flying home to Los Angeles, Ava abruptly moves to Madrid to pursue an affair with Spain's greatest bullfighter, Luis Miguel de Molin. Frank and Ava are effectively separated, but still married. It's Christmas of the same year. Ava has now been having an affair with Luis Miguel for months. Frank flies to Spain to meet Ava so they can spend the holiday together. After a promising, seemingly romantic evening together, they sit down for dinner in a Spanish restaurant. After the first course, Ava excuses herself. She leaves her purse and gold cigarette box on the table. Ava does not return. Frank is heartbroken. He puts his energy into rebuilding his career and cleaning up his life. He spends four more years trying to win his wife back, but he never does. 1957 comes, and Frank and Ava finally divorce. It's the epilogue. Years go by, and Frank's career thrives. He once again becomes an image of cool and a pseudo-sex symbol. But by all accounts, Ava stays on his mind. They would have occasional encounters. And friends reported that even years after the divorce, Frank occasionally tries to rekindle things with Ava to no avail. He sends her a lavish bouquet of flowers every year. Later in life, Ava eventually has a stroke. It leaves her unable to speak. She stops taking phone calls except for calls from Frank. The nurses hold the phone up to her ear as he repeatedly tells her he loves her and that growing old is just terrible. Ava keeps a photo of her and Frank in their younger days on her bedside table until the day she dies, January 25th, 1990. They both go to their grave insisting that they are the love of each other's lives. So what can we learn from Frank and Ava? I don't know, man. Love obviously sucks. Does it look hopeless? Sure. When someone breaks your heart, maybe you really don't ever get over it. But it's clear that raw emotion and manic love leaves a lot of bodies in its wake. Unrequited love is a vicious cycle. 
Frank did it to Nancy, Ava did it to Frank, and I'm sure at some point someone did it to Ava. I'm not entirely sure, actually, because I did not read enough about her when I was producing this piece, but no matter what, you can't let someone fuck you up. Even if the woman you love chooses to be with the most famous bullfighter in the world, or even just a guy that has some vague, nondescript job in the medical field and drives a Porsche, when you drive a Kia, I don't know, I'm not really talking about anybody specific, but yeah, I don't know, whatever. You gotta get back on your feet and you've gotta be the best that you can be for yourself. Otherwise, you're just a pussy. I'll be right back with Chris Cheney. Sorry you have to follow this, Chris. Coscarelli rules. I've returned and it's the first time that I'm looking at myself in a Zoom camera um, in about a week. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, I am six to eight days past haircut protocol. I absolutely need a, a fucking fade uh, <laughs> on the side. <laughs> uh, and I'm laughing so much because my guest. Uh, is uh, looking at me like I'm a complete fucking idiot. And the reason that he's looking at me like I'm a complete fucking idiot uh, is because he's one of my best friends. He is uh, my roommate. He is also a stand-up comedian. He hosts Sup, a streetwear podcast. And he's also a, a streetwear designer himself, uh, currently for the brand A-Life in New York City. He continues to laugh at me. Chris Cheney now joins the podcast. You understand, Chris, the amount of mistakes that I just made strictly because I'm talking to you, it takes me out of my professional zone in a way that I can't really articulate to the audience. Hey, man. <laughs> I liked watching all. It's the worst intro I've done so far, hands down. It's not going to sound like it once we get, like, once it gets actually makes it to air, it's going to sound nice and pretty. But I mean, Jesus Christ, that was tough to get through. You stumbled <laughs> a lot. I stumbled a lot because it's weird. You have a professional capacity. You've done a lot of good stuff. Um, but like, it's hard for me to not think of you as like the guy that I live with. You know what I mean? And like no, my I friend. I completely understand. I know. So it's weird because it's like, oh, this person is a, you know, has, has a respectable career and a voice in several different arenas in New York City. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we're literally um, podcasting over Zoom as you are in the next room across from me. I can hear you in real life. Yeah. Through the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I, I can't hear you as much because I'm wearing these big-ass headphones, but yeah, we are podcasting literally. We should probably be doing this in the same room, but part of the reason that we aren't is because, well, it's not just you and me living in this house, is it? No. We have two other people, one who I'll allow you to elaborate on, but it's keeping us here. Yes. Uh, well, so last week, uh, was it Tuesday? Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday? Um, watching the beautiful inauguration of, of Joe Biden, the Rolex wearing man of the people, uh, and all of his esteemed guests, uh, Bruce Springsteen and John Bon Jovi and, you know, JLo, JLo. Yeah. And Lady Gaga and, and all the festivities. Yep. And I'm just, I'm having a great time enjoying myself. And then I get a text 
from our beloved roommate Kyle. Kyle. That he tested positive for COVID nineteen. Kyle did. Kyle Kyle vid nineteen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that fucked everything up. I had plans. I was supposed to see somebody that night. Uh, I had plans to go. It was. Uh, I had a little birthday dinner on Friday for another one of my friends. Had to cancel that. Yep. It was the first time I think since this pandemic started where I had a couple of things lined up where I was actually looking forward to the week saying like, hey, we'll keep it safe, but I got a couple cool things going on here. Let's do some outdoor dining on Friday, you know, maybe like we'll see what happens tonight. And immediately that went from that to understanding that we were going to have to be locked in this apartment for the next, well, at that point, at least 10 days. Yeah. Brutal. This is, this is my first actual like quarantine you know what i mean like before it was like you know the world was shut down so right. any quarantining that i could have done any i was quarantining anyway but this is the first time work was like all right you have to stay home and you can't come back until kyle gets a negative test right. so yeah i'm stuck here till next this coming sunday it's yeah monday. it i mean it's it's insane how quickly things just like turn on a on a dime and i was saying before that I don't think this even necessarily has to do with us as much as it has to do with um, really the state of the world. But this was the first time I've been trying to stay as optimistic as possible, given everything that's going on, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because it it is a crazy time. There's no denying. And I don't think there's anybody on the planet that would be like, no, no, man, what are you talking about? It's fine. No, shit's (laughs) sick out here. Yeah. Yeah. Shit's (laughs) sick. But um, I think this is the first time that I have felt sort of the dread of just how depressing this this whole situation is and not even just for maybe the element the added element is that like this i'm wearing a shirt right now because we're recording and i'm gonna put this video on instagram or whatever but this is mm-hmm. the first time i've worn clothing in five days i think I haven't left my bed because there has been no reason to do so. Yeah, when you came back from the run, you were like, it is so utterly depressing outside. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just insane. And like the first, at least the first, the first three days were even worse because I was anticipating, I'm the only one in this house that has not gotten COVID yet. You guys, uh, you and our other roommate, uh, Matt, uh, shout out to Matt, uh, have both gotten it. Obviously, it was a little, you guys got it towards the beginning of this whole thing, so... But yeah, I don't know when I had it. I just uh, got an antibody test and it said positive. So I, you know, whatever that means to whoever you say that to, you know. This was the, so that first Wednesday, Thursday f- until I went and got tested Friday. I was fully anticipating on having COVID. I was actually also kind of getting sick. I had like a like a sore throat and I was getting like some some um, some like drip in the back of the throat and I was like, here it comes. Oh fucking god, you know. And then we got tested and it was, we were all negative, which is great. But just the idea, cause even in our house, like you said, this is the first time I've been legitimately quarantined like this too, other than the first month or so where I was just too afraid to go out and do anything. This right. is the first time that we have had to like, we are literally, I have not seen you in five days. You're feet from me. Yeah. We've seen each other literally in passing it, for a couple of minutes, which is yeah, just before you got a negative test, you uh, you literally were like door shut, mask on. There was no reason to not do that. Like I'm yeah. texting all these other people, and some people are telling me, uh, you know, hey, it's going to be fine. Like, I know somebody who 
you know, got quarantined with their wife and didn't end up getting it. And, and that kind of gave me hope, which was nice to say like, all right, well, as long as I stay away from Kyle, maybe I can not get it. But Kyle and I had been watching football, um, days before he got the the positive test so in my mind i was just like well there's how the fuck am i not going to get this thing i was on the couch with him like next to him kissing yes <laughs> yes making out gently <laughs> as um, all four of us do in this house we all take a, turns it's a kissing household for sure yes but um and I'm, I mean, I'm glad that I didn't get it. But yeah, this is the first time that I have sort of felt the utter loneliness, even just texting people. Like, it's not like any of us have been running around doing anything irresponsible. But, you know, you see your girlfriend, right? I, you know, I've mm-hmm. been on dates. I, I've seen some friends here and there. Andrea Allen was at our apartment not too long ago. But it's oh, one I person. Love Andrea. love Andrea Allen. Last week's guest. If you hadn't heard that episode, please go back and listen. But you know, you get responsible, you know, somebody's, you know, acting the way they're supposed to be acting and you can see them and, and you can, you know, assume that they're not going to give you COVID. Um, and it'll kind of be all good. And to this point, it sort of has been, um, and that kind of keeps your morale up in some ways. Cause yeah, we're all in this together, but there isn't this just impending doom of, cause this is the thing, man, now that it's winter and everything too, it's in our house. Um, to even like go take a walk around the block or whatever at night it is Brooklyn is scary and it's not scary in a way like in the 70s where you were going to get mugged or anything like that it's it's worse because there's nobody on the streets and that to me is the thing that is like that's more frightening to me you don't like a silent city it just doesn't make sense to me I've never seen it this is the first time that I've seen it like this you know? It's funny you say that because you used to live in Woodside, Queens. It's quiet out there too. It's not quiet. It's not as quiet as this. Like I mean, like Woodside, Queens. If you're not in New York City, is like a shitty part of Queens and uh, <laughs> kind of like an immigrant community in some ways. But people are out. Like there's there's bar- there's the Irish community too. There's there's tons of bars over there, and people My are just people. Your people <laughs> stumbling around, fucking shit faced. You know? Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, it's not like a quiet. It's not like a nursing home community. It's not like the suburbs, but yeah, it's not as popping as Williamsburg or, or like Manhattan or anything like that, but it's not, it's still the city. It's not, uh, you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. it is right now where it's like, if you take a walk after the sun goes down, nobody is out. And even like the, the outdoor dining and stuff in New York city is, uh, I mean, they're trying to make it like indoor outdoor dining. I don't know if, I mean, you've seen this obviously, but there's yeah, some places they, they around make the corner. Outside in, they make an inside outside. Right. <laughs> and then you and just go eat inside on the outside. Right, exactly, which kind of defeats the purpose of doing this whole thing. It's just a plastic outdoor dining as opposed to whatever, the indoor dining of old where you're just like in a group of people, I guess. you know, They're making giant outhouses that you are supposed to have a date in. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make a ton of sense, but I mean, that's the only sign of life that there is in... Um, in uh, in the neighborhood. It's really fucking shocking, man. And we live in like a neighborhood that before all this was very lively. So, I love our neighborhood. I mean, the only time it was really fucked up to me was um, when the delis started to get scared and were shutting down. We're closing. Like when I... Yeah, when, there when those motherfuckers bodega, get scared. Yeah. When there wasn't yeah. a bodega open within five blocks. But think about that. How many bodegas are within five blocks of us? Uh, and there wasn't, <laughs> yeah. And there wasn't one single one open. There was one night where, I, like, I just wanted to go get, like, I think, 
like a, I think it was like a beef patty and beer. And I was like, all right. It was like 9 p.m. maybe, like very reasonably time for a bodega. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking around and none of them were open. I would, that's yeah. why I was fucked up. I was like, yo, this is, this is, the world is about to end if the bodegas are closed. Yeah, because those guys don't close for anything. No. They're not afraid of anything. People try to rob them at gunpoint. They don't give a fuck. Like, it doesn't yeah. make any difference to them whatsoever if there's a pandemic. That That's one of the few places you can still not wear a mask in New York City. You just walk in there. People, they don't stop anybody and say, like, no. hey, man, put your mask on. They don't give a fuck. Half the um, dudes are there. The guy's making food without his mask on. I know. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Love this place. <laughs> what have you been doing this week, though, Chris? I literally haven't seen you. How's things? <laughs> I mean, things are good, man. I mean, I just miss my girl. I miss outside. I miss. I actually miss the office. You know, I just started this job full time January 4th, and it's such like a bump in the road to like have this happen right as you start. You know, you want to start right. strong, and this was a hard way to fucking cross the start line you know this is designing for a life yeah so i mean i've worked with them for years i mean i got a puma i did back with them in like 2014 but this is the first time at uh i've been like you know they've been paying my salary right well i'm wondering for you like when you're told that you can't go into the office to do yeah. this stuff how much does it fuck your job up as a designer because i see you sitting in that room the entire night basically you and i are both just constantly working i'm yeah. working on podcast stuff you're working on design stuff and mm-hmm. your own podcast and all that stuff too but like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me when i remember when we when i was still working for betches when they at some point early on in the pandemic were like all right well you guys we're gonna have to do podcasts from home i remember the first time they said that and i was just like I don't know how we're going to do that. Right. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how does that affect you guys? Cause I know that, I mean, I imagine to design a fashion line, you have to be, people have to have input and it's gotta be like immediate. Yeah. No? The, the biggest hump has been communication. Um, cause you can technically get by like, you know, just sort of like sending stuff back and forth and giving notes. Um, but it's, of course, being in the room, of course, makes it a lot easier. You know what I mean? You can ask questions, have clarity on a couple things. You know, um, the biggest thing here is like, you know, I'll text one of my bosses like three questions and I'll get the answer to one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't be like, yo, what about the other? Like, I, I, you can't like harp. You know what I mean? It's not something where you can just like constantly nag, especially right. me being new. I mean, I've known these guys for years, like I said, but it, it's just the communication that's so annoying because these guys are older. They're not the best with uh, technology. Mm, they're not the best with people, texting. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, uh, my the uh, Trey is only ten years older than me, but he's got like ten years of technology slack. You know what I mean? Like he can't text as quickly as I can. He can't read the sarcasm or like the feeling within text like we sort of can. You know what I mean? So it's interesting mm. in that regard. And also the other guy has a fucking Jerome has a fucking Android, so just texting with him is just abysmal. Fucking green screen everywhere. Like fuck that guy. Yikes. <laughs> You never want to see the green bubble. No, you can't FaceTime. You got to like figure out a Zoom thing. Oh, right. He, yeah. Well, he, he did get an iPad though, so now he can FaceTime, but it's still like, Jesus Christ, just because Android's cut you a check, bro. Just like, just have the iPhone on the tuck for work. Don't like, yeah. yeah, get paid by Android on the side, like for real and use that, but like for work, have an iPhone. Join us, please. Yeah. <laughs> Join the iPhone people. For sure. But I mean, that's the only thing. That's, that's really it. Other than that, I mean, like I was working freelance from home, as you know, uh, 
uh, before independently. So I was just alone by myself in a room, just making. It, but it was just much easier to communicate. I could call. I could go meet up with people. Sometimes, you know what I mean. But right so now, it's, it's tough. How different has this week overall felt for you from what we've been doing for this entire year at this point? Um, it's it's only once you realize what's the what's the phrase? It's like you never know what you got until it's gone. I mean, that's right. been twenty twenty as a whole, but uh-huh. like. You know, before I could still like go do stuff and feel comfortable, but right now I don't know like the capacity of like what this situation with Kyle does. Like I don't know if it's like on me. I don't know if it's like if I touch. You know, it's just weird. So like well, I've yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like we're in this situation where I, even we don't really know what because by all accounts he's better already. But yeah, like we don't. Nobody's really given us any instructions on what we're supposed to do. And I think that's like, I, I, we're not alone in, in this, which is why I thought this was kind of a an interesting thing to talk about today. Because like for us, it's a bit mundane. We haven't done anything all week. And that's sort of the extent of this. And that sucks. That sucks for us, you know, because other people are, they're not out living their lives because there's no life to live at the moment. But like, right. you still have the capability to go do an outdoor dining thing. I think there's still indoor dining in Jersey if you're bold enough to cross the river and stuff like that. <laughs> but for us, it's like Kyle got this positive test. He texted us, which was the thing that you're supposed to do, you know, yeah. being a courteous roommate. And then Kyle's been as good as you can be about it. He hasn't, I haven't seen him in a week, you know, he's literally locked in his room and, and he hasn't been using the kitchen or using, you know, we've used separate bathrooms and all that stuff. So that's great. But it's like now, then what? Like, like I said, for the first couple of days, we were literally all of us had our doors closed and we were just like completely separated. Then we all got the ne- the negative tests and it was like, all right, well, maybe at least me and Chris can like kiss see again. each other. Yeah. Kiss again. <laughs> 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 but there has been, I would have thought that there would be s- some sort of direction where it's like, if you have a, if you guys test negative and, and your roommate tests positive that you give it. Because it keeps changing. I thought it was two weeks at first, and somebody else told me 10 days, and then somebody yeah. else told me a week. It's like, who are you supposed to believe? Because I, I, I'm probably not going to believe my peers, who I, I, I don't think have any real sort of credentials to give any advice on any of this stuff. You no know? one has any credentials. You know what I mean? Like, even some of the guys that you hear some of, like, the, the here's the new facts from, like, those guys are like, who the fuck are you? Where'd you get this from? All of it, all of it's so weird, which is kind of why I keep saying this, but you have to treat it like religion. Just do, like, you know, let everyone have their thoughts, just kind of in with, like, internalize your opinion about it, and then sort of, like, just do the best you can with what you got. But this is the thing. It's like, I feel you, but we can't do that, man. Like, if you're going to go, all right, so you and your girlfriend, right? Yeah. When are you going to feel comfortable seeing her? Because I know she obviously is taking this thing very seriously, and she's, yeah. um, you know, she's uh, kind of, the it's the sad thing for her is that every time this happens to us, because we've had a couple scares, you know, we've... Yeah, we've no, had, this is like our third sort of, like, scare quote. Yeah, and we've been lucky. Like, we haven't had any sort of um, major fuck-ups. Nobody's really gotten sick other than Kyle, and... Um, you know, we've had other friends who had like been in contact with somebody and then came over and we didn't know till later or yeah. whatever. But like, unfortunately she is sort of a part of this too. She's like a victim of it in some ways because it's like every month it seems like we're sending her a text like, Oh God, uh, Chris is going to have to tell her <laughs> that somebody, uh, fucked yeah. up. <laughs> the only, uh, tension her and I have had in the two and a half years that we've kind of been, you know, dating now has been over COVID shit. It's like, you know, she hates, 
you guys and I say you guys just as my <laughs> friends because it seems like all my friends are fucking retarded and can't get their shit together if something happens when all of us realistically are doing kind of what we should be it's we're, just like yeah we're being pretty responsible yeah it's just like you got one mishap here like you know like yeah like you said like you know someone came in contact didn't really know or like you know Kyle works at a restaurant so he's seeing right. people all the time you know what I mean? like, I'm taking the train so it's like there's only so much you can prepare yourself for and then you just have to keep getting tested and just be aware of it that's really it but like so the original question like in your eyes what is the how long are you going to lay low before you see her again um, or like invite her over or whatever because that's the thing it's like even ta- yeah. we've been talking about trying to get Fios in the apartment and I'm like I don't think that we should have somebody come over come and install in, Fios know. when Kyle hasn't gotten a negative test yet you know what I mean that's like a even that seems just some shit where it's like now would be the time to set it up because we have the time but like I know and we're all home yeah I mean, I'm going by mostly Kyle first and foremost because he's patient zero. He needs to get a negative. Right. So it really depends on what he does, which is kind of what I was saying. Like, you kind of got to kind of float with the people around you and based off what they do. Because, like, you know, say for whatever reason, like, to, like today, we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just all get tested at the same time. Let's see if there's a negative and we all end up negative. You know, then, then why, is, why still quarantine? But, you know, he's right. doing the 10 day. So mm-hmm. he's doing the right thing. He's got to follow his work rules. He, you know, it's it's very bureaucratic the way you have to do this. And I'm not used to it because I'm not used to being very bureaucratic. I'm used to going like, fuck you, whatever, this sucks. Or I'm doing this, I don't care. Like, this is cool. Um, but no, you like you literally, like you because this affects so many people around you, you really have to be bureaucratic or you'll just be an asshole and alone. Right. Yeah, I guess that's what it, that's what it comes down to. And I mean... You know, it's a it's a bummer, but like, goddamn, man, this is some shit that we're. Uh, I, I just <laughs> want to kiss you guys again. All I do is want to kiss. <laughs> I just want to sit in the same room again. I'm usually trying to avoid you guys. Now I just I need more. I can't <laughs> I can't get enough of you. Uh, I, I ate upstairs for the first time in a while last night, and it was yeah. weird being in the living room for more than like ten seconds. Yeah, man. It's like as soon as this happened, we were all buying wipes and we were all like, uh, you know, literally wearing masks. I was making tea and I was wearing a mask in the kitchen. I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah, it's literally the only place I wasn't wearing a mask uh, was in my room the first three days before I got the the negative test. But my God, man, this is brutal. Yeah, super brutal. um, So I had a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about that are a little more in the realm uh, in your world, really, because uh, for the listener, some of you know that I'm a big sneakerhead. Chris is really the reason that I am. Uh, Chris is the guy that got me involved in any of that stuff. I, I, whatever I know at this point is because of him. He, I had sneakers when I was a kid. I had some, some sneakers that now are considered iconic, but I, my parents wouldn't really, I wasn't getting multiple pairs of sneakers at once. You know, I, and usually when I got those good sneakers, I got them at like on sale at value city or something like that. Like I had the T max, the, uh, the, uh, which are the T max with the, with the blue stripe. You know what I'm talking about? These Adidas, they all have stripes. Yeah, no, I know that. But <laughs> are you talking on the toe box? He had he had a no. It was like like the whole the whole midsection of the shoe had the the blue like the thin blue stripes on it. Yo, I love when people try to describe shoes because it's like you, you it's never specific enough. You know the Adidas with the he, stripes. He had, how that many were shoes there? did he have? He had a couple. Man, T Mac was a. Think about T Mac and then think about like his career and the, think about like what Adidas would do for that career. 
Come on. I guess. I had the good one. I had like the one that he, like the famous one that they're re-releasing this year. They probably the ones, the T-Mac one. No, he was on Orlando already when he, we're getting uh, sidetracked. I had those shoes, yeah. but I had them like, <laughs> I had them like, the, there have been three other versions of the T-Mac that had come out like since then. And I found yeah. them in like a bargain bin somewhere. My mom was like $45. Okay. You can get these, you know? So that was my like sneaker life before I met you or not even before I met you. Cause when I met you, I thought sneaker stuff was f- lame, you know? Yeah. And you were trying to dress while. like Frank Sinatra with like a three piece suit that was like velvet, <laughs> like maroon shit. I don't even know what the fuck you were doing. And I was the best dressed motherfucker in the comedy scene. And that's a fact. Uh, yeah, but then I pulled up with the hype drip, and everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, we fucked with." Like- <laughs> well, the culture changed, and you have to change the culture. <laughs> the culture you know? changed. Yeah, I'm like the culture <laughs> changed. Okay. Uh, but Chris, you were with me when I bought my first pair of sneakers uh, as in a like a, my real first pair of sneakers as an adult. It wasn't really that long ago; it was a couple years ago. Oh, the, um, we were never it on then. Soho, right? We were just walking around, kind of shopping. We were over by. Uh, we were up in Times Square. I bought the. Uh, at, at the Foot Locker up there. Oh, that's the right. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was walking around in the Air Max. And I was like, you know what? This is better than walking around in boots. So I think I'm going to start doing this. So obviously, you're the the reason that you were the one that introduced me to that stuff. I think was because you have this um, sort of uh, this past. Well, not even past life because you're still a streetwear designer. But when we met and became friends, you were you know I knew you as a comedian, mm-hmm. and then. It was also like, oh yeah, Chris is also like a high level fucking fashion designer. Well, and we were just like, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I wouldn't say that, but I mean, I'll I'll take that compliment. Thank you very much. I don't know, I dude, you're like leading design on a on a on a literal like streetwear line, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put myself in the same category that like a uh, like a. I mean, I, dude, it's mostly t-shirts and hoodies. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you've seen some of the samples I come sneakers? home with. Sneakers? Like, uh, I mean, you, I, I've seen you design sneakers. Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, sneakers is probably more of, like, the thing that I would give myself credit to figure out. Um, just because, mm-hmm. like, the to make a good sneaker is very hard. That's probably the hardest thing to do. But, I mean, like, a, like yeah. doing button-ups and shit and, like, you know, button-downs and, like, a hoodie and, like, a bomber jacket. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that very high level, but I enjoy doing it. And I like doing it at the highest level I can. Okay, fair. But you have an expertise, and I think that that is why I've had a lot of questions that I've talked to um, people that don't know what they're talking about about yeah. with this stuff. Um, and 2020 is really, to me, uh, there are pivotal years in pop culture where you can sort of see the culture change on a dime. Yeah, you know, and I think if you look that. at... Yeah, like the late '60s, it was it was the same sort of thing. Like you you go from this Mad Men era of like if we're just talking style specifically, you go from people wearing suits and these you know uh, like uh, shoes, shirts and ties, uh, cardigan sweaters and all this stuff. It's sort of like the tail end of that '50s look. All of a sudden, you know, there's a there's a paradigm shift in like '67, '68, and all of a sudden everybody's wearing these like these like bright colors, crazy, you know, floral patterns and shit like that. Like it's sort of the way we think of the sixties. It was really only two or three years, but it, it was just such a, a shift that happened so fast. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're kind of seeing that right now where when before 
the pandemic started, athleisure was the thing that was sort of in. People were pivoting towards this wearing joggers and, you know, yeah. sneaker culture was really at a, a peak. Uh, hoodies, like, like, but hoodies that cost like $300, yeah. you know, um, and all that stuff. And it, in a way, it sort of prepared us for 2020 because now everybody's just wearing sweatpants and hoodies and all that shit. But what do you think that people are going to be dressing like when this whole thing is over? I mean, there's a, there's a couple things with that. It's uh, one of the things that you got to consider is like how people were eating this whole time. Like, because some people got fat. Okay. You know what I mean? Some people got fat during COVID. And like, they, I think a lot of people probably did. Yeah. Yeah. So they're. I would say, like, lazy luxury, I think, is a good way to put it. Like, ooh. They want some, like, it's lazy lux, right? Because, like, if you can't fit in all your old clothes and you're yeah. going to buy some new stuff, you want, the first thing is first is comfort. You know what I mean? I know, yeah. like, you know, people buy suits and they do, the, you know, they have this, like, whole thing where, like, you know, some people sacrifice uh, comfort for fashion, but I think that it's kind of over now because no, no one's really going nowhere. People are like home more now. So I think the lazy right. luck is going to be the thing where it's like go, going back to what you were kind of saying, like $300 hoodie, but it's a $300 hoodie that wasn't meant for the gym. It was like it's an actually just like a $300 hoodie. Mm-hmm. Um, well, right. I, that's th- I don't think that there's uh, – I feel like they don't even make – hoodies for the gym anymore like now workout clothes to me seem like they're like fucking like uh, the stretchy like sweat absorbent <laughs> all that stuff like that's what you wear now when we were kids or whatever like i remember going to the gym like the ymca gym with my dad and he was wearing like a full sweatsuit like rocky right you yeah. know <laughs> yes like yes. just wearing like a ridiculous champion like like hoodless sweatshirt you know what i mean um but yeah, it seems like that is sort of going to be the, the 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 future of fashion. But I I think that the my biggest question is just like, what is going to happen with with formal wear? Because uh, and not even formal wear, but work wear. I just feel like we're crossing into a, a zone where it's like, I don't even think that you're you were you were kind of like the trendsetter on this in my life. You know, where right. I have never not seen you wear a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, uh, you dress like a Japanese seventeen-year-old. You know, <laughs> yes, every constantly, day. yes, every single day. Um, and I, it always perplexed me that we're now in our thirties and I've never, I don't think I've ever seen you wear a tie or a jacket, <laughs> like a, like a sport jacket or anything like that. And I've no, we've known each other for years at this point. It's yeah. not like, this is, you know, I've, I've been seeing you dress for gotta be eight years at this point. And, uh, I always just used to be amazed. I was like, Chris doesn't have any adult clothes <laughs> at all. <laughs> He's got none. Woo. How the hell? What does he wear to work? And you were just like, this is what I wear to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember thinking that that was fucking insane. <laughs> and now I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is what you'd wear to work, you know? Yeah, it's exactly what I would wear to work. Um, I mean, to sort of answer your question, right, there's a couple things that are going on. So, like, that Lazy Lux thing, that new fresh start, um, the weather that you figured out how to get fit during COVID or you got fat, whatever the case may be for you, that's one thing. But there's also a bunch of um, things happening within the industry, I guess to say, like... One, I think most of the listeners who are going to listen to this would know is like, so say Virgil Abloh, right? He works yeah. at Louis Vuitton. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not only is he like, uh, I, at least to my knowledge, one of the first black people to work at that 
level at that company. Mm-hmm. Very white. He he runs the show. He uh, on the men's right? side. Yeah, men's okay. men's stuff. Um, so as a guy who was under Kanye West, under Kanye, his yeah. camp. You know, there's that famous photo of like 2007, where like they're all in Paris. It's like him, Don C. You know that that group of guys, and they all look ridiculous, right? So it's like that crew that I think now is sort of they have the power to like change with Virgil sort of like leading that trend at least with Louis Vuitton because he's pulling a lot from skate and streetwear. Right now, and then there's an ongoing cycle of like you know we pull from high fashion, high fashion pulls from us. We only started pulling from high fashion because they kept stealing our shit, so there was nowhere for us to go at least to reference them. So now the line is getting so grayed and blurred. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you see now, it's like you know Louis Vuitton makes a skate shoe, like it looks right. like a DC skateboarding shoe, but it's it's Louis Vuitton and probably a thousand dollars. So the not Test. only are people like not caring necessarily about um, how they look, you know, like you know, because you were just saying to me, like, oh, I, you know, he got me into hoodies. It's sort of, people are sort of getting more casual. We've been home all year. We want to be comfortable, and it's also like you see these guys where it's like Louis Vuitton makes a skate shoe, so now I can, as a forty-year-old, dress like a poser skate kid, and that's cool. Well, right, that's the weird thing to me that like that now I'll go for these runs and I'll see these kids skateboarding. I sound like a fucking ninety-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go, <laughs> I'll go for a run down by the water in Brooklyn, and I'll see these these kids skateboarding. There's like a it's like a boardwalk over there on the, like in between Greenpoint and, and Williamsburg mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. And I'll be like running past them and they'll kind of like get in my way and I'll look up and it's a 50 year old man yeah. <laughs> skateboarding yes. down the boardwalk. Yes. So it's weird. Is that, but is that, I just cut you off. No, 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 no. I, I was just going to say, cause the OGs, the guys who started this sort of thing, you think about like how, when, po- like when skateboarding was popular, right? You want to say like late nineties, it's sort of like where it started to really hit stream. You know, you had things like Tony sure. Hawk, Tony Hawk, Hawk yep. yeah. So all these things sort of like, you know, once he hit the 900, that was it. Right. Right. And how old it is- actually is like a memorable moment. <laughs> oh, it, dude, it absolutely is. Cause not yeah. only was that when, um, skating, well, skateboard, sort of skateboarding sort of like got into the forefront you know then mm-hmm. you had other things where it's like you had the staple pigeon shit where like you know there was mm-hmm. a literal riot in new york city over uh yeah Nike. dunks right um and then you know these transfuse all those guys back then were our ages now right and they didn't like change careers these dudes are just now the ogs they're old heads so that's right. why you see a bunch of 60 year olds dressing like a 17 what did you say Japanese 17 year old 17 year old yeah. yes <laughs> so yeah but no it was just to point that out to you because you're like you know you see these guys they're like old as shit but they still dress like me when I was you know 15 so do you think that's like the because on your end for people that don't know you Chris yeah. I feel like on any given night yes you're working your ass off and you're designing and you're doing all that stuff at your desk in your room but you can also be found uh, smoking weed and watching anime. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a- on, on any given night. Yes, you know, playing Nintendo Switch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was just playing Pokemon before the podcast. <laughs> precisely, exactly my point. All of these things now are seeping into like a adult culture. Do you think that the the they go hand in hand with sort of the streetwear life? Because if we're talking about skateboarding adults doing all of these things and sort of making it normal, when we were kids, it was not really normal. My dad played Madden, I think. Yeah, he played Madden when I was like a kid. And my dad was probably in his early thirties, I would guess. 
but he doesn't right he's an adult he doesn't play video games he doesn't skateboard he doesn't do any of this shit but at the same time to be fair sports realistically are for kids and we've turned them into like like adults worship sports figures adult men at right. least you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Kobe Bryant you know rest in peace obviously uh he was worshipped by adults and children. It's not like it was just like after a certain point you stopped liking Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or or Magic Johnson or whoever. But I always thought it was weird that those things – like I th- always thought it was weird that you liked those things. <laughs> but now it sort of seems to me that like you're not – a hype beast, you know what I mean? Yeah. But hype beast, hype beast culture seems to encapsulate all of these things. And I'm wondering, I always thought it was just you, but it seems like it's not. <laughs> no, so the interesting thing, Mike, is, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd be able to pull all the reference off the top of my head, but anime has been a driving force in clothing, especially streetwear, since the 80s. Why? Because <laughs> it's fucking sweet, dude. Get on board. <laughs> what are you talking about? I can't get on board. It's not going to work for me. I can't. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, all right. One of, so, you know, I, I spoke about Kanye being sort of a forefather to a bunch of people, right? Kanye's group. Yeah. All right, I'll just go back to him just to pull the reference. So, like, one of his most popular songs, Stronger, right? There's a direct yeah. scene in the Stronger video that's in this uh, anim- anime movie called Akira. Akira, mm. hands down, has influenced streetwear, which was also... I can't believe this is what I'm running. Yeah, you're running it, baby. You have. <laughs> like, movies like Akira have influenced not only the guys who influenced me, but they influenced the guys who influenced the guys who influenced me. So anime mm. has underlying been a part of all this shit since day one, almost. Um, sure. You know, even if I were to name like like my favorite designers, like three of them are Japanese. You know what I mean? It's like all this shit. Okay. All of J- Japan and their discipline when it comes to design and I guess animation. I don't want to, don't wait, don't smile at me like that. What was that? <laughs> their discipline. I just thought it was funny. No, it's, they're very, very disciplined culture. Uh huh. Gotta okay. be. I gotta not be. I gotta be PC with you. I almost said a couple things. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said. Please, please, you don't have to be PC with me, Chris. <laughs> no, 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 I do. <laughs> no, I do. Um, no, they just have a very disciplined culture. So, like, like when you watch this movie, I'm referencing Akira. It was made in the mm. '80s, bro, but it's better quality than most of the stuff that comes out now. Just because they had like seven studios, it was like fucking frame by frame. You know what I mean? And then to see stronger reference that i remember being in high school i think it was high school in that when did that song come out like 2007 five Me maybe yeah. i don't know i'm i we can't remember but whenever it was um i just remember watching that video going like is that did he pull that from akira so it's just and you know he's one of the biggest not only fashion designers but sneaker guys in the world today right now arguably up against mj as far as selling sneakers and He's been pulling from anime the whole time. It's the baseline of everything, bro. Seriously. Can Kanye catch Jordan with um, Yeezy? I mean, uh, it is a... The, the, the legacy is really the problem, right? So I think that Yeezys sell just as much as, like, say, like even like an Air Force One. I mean, on my podcast, up, um, Lawrence Deloach, one of my co-hosts, has sort of, like, pointed out that they kind of sell at the same rate. You know what I mean? Like the the shift between a, only a, the only thing Adidas is selling right now is Yeezys for real. 
they're not really doing that much otherwise. I mean, they are like uh, like a, mm. a top three sort of brand, but like Yeezy's the only one that uh, like everything goes every time. Um, and then you look at what Nike's doing right now. So they have all these legacy things like Dunks, um, SBs mm. that are hot again. You know, the ones, I mean, the inauguration, there was two people wearing Jordan 1s, which arguably makes them kind of business casual now. So, right. We're, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he can catch up. It's just maintaining um, the numbers he's doing now for a number of years. You know what I mean? Because that's the only difference. It's just time. They, they sell an equal amount. It's insane that somebody who's not an athlete can sell sneakers at the same clip. Well, as... rappers are the new athletes. It's true. Yeah. I mean, do you think that there does anybody have a better signature shoe than Kanye that's not an athlete? Um, well, all right. So this also goes back to it's weird because Kanye sort of transcended um, colorways. Like Adidas was like, you can have your whole, a whole line and you can do whatever you want. Normally, you don't get that sort of deal. Uh, I mean, like it was just what he went through with Nike and all these other things that led up to it. But signature shoe, only athletes really get them right now. I mean, we've had a couple instances where like Kevin Hart, a comedian, got his own trainer. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, some designers now are getting like their own silhouettes just because they see that's the route they need to go. But not a lot of people get their own shit. So it's hard to say that. But I mean, you look at Travis Scott, anything that was Travis Scott's logos on it sells out. Oh, right. Immediately, dude. Immediately. That's true. The, it's, it's crazy to see him post a picture on Instagram. And the shoes he's wearing, literally, I know you have a problem with this. <laughs> literally, go up hundreds of dollars on StockX just because he's wearing them. Yeah, it, it is. It is fascinating that I told you that I was looking at. There's a pair of uh, Dunks, which for the listener, if you aren't a streetwear fan, they're they're like Nike skateboarding shoes, um, and they come in. There's a million of them. There's so many different colorways. Yeah, uh, there's a pair I was going to try to get two years ago I think when I was trying to I was still stacking up my money and I was trying to not just blow it all on sneakers (laughs) but there was a pair of dunks that I was going to get they were like 120 bucks maybe very appropriately priced at 120 yeah then Travis Scott kind of starts this SB wave and now they're like 350 yeah resell yeah it's insane and I mean, like, like the Travis Scott thing, we've had so many conversations about this in the past and like the McDonald's thing, that's not newsworthy really anymore. But when he did that McDonald's collaboration, I think we had this argument over like, like there is a, um, there is an interesting dynamic right now between, uh, branding and creativity. Mm-hmm. And being sort of a creative person and having this idea that to be the biggest and best creative person, you have to, A, make the most fucking money, uh, but B, on top of that, kind of like sp- spread your tentacles into everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And to me, like fashion and music, all of those things culturally kind of go together. So it's like if you're a, to me... If right. you're a musician or if you're a rapper or a rock star or something like that, it makes sense to me to for you to have a clothing line or be in movies or or just, they're all creative endeavors and like yeah there's there's um there is an element of uh commerce to selling shirts selling sneakers whatever but you do get to kind of flex your creative muscle a little bit when you do these things whereas Travis Scott doing his collab with McDonald's 
was a guy who was just like, let's see how much fucking money I can make. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to have a Travis Scott happy meal. Um, and it's just a bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the Travis Scott meal. <laughs> well, here's the thing too, Mike, is that like, I called him a sellout. You didn't seem to think so. Well, there's a couple things to that. So, I mean, if you look at the last person before Travis Scott to have their, a person to have their own meal, it was Michael Jordan. Right. Who is a sellout? Who? Yeah, but is he? Yes. Of course he is. I don't know. You can't get Mike to do shit with just money, bro. Travis might be a different thing. What are you talking about? What do you mean? What do I? What? Do you, what? you think he loved Gatorade and that's why he endorsed Gatorade? No, but I'm saying you can, right now you cannot get him to do that unless the check is like super tight. Right, but he didn't, Michael Jordan didn't do the McDonald's endorsement right now. He did it. When he was no, the most but relevant. Even, even back then, he wasn't really doing it all like that. Yes, he, Chris. Do you know the story? Did you watch The Last Dance? Of course I did. We half watched it together. You know the story about how he, like, he, uh, did we watch it together? Some of the episodes, yeah. Interesting. I don't remember that, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> every move he made was about money. Everything. I mean, the story about him at the Olympics where they were wearing Reebok starter like track suits and they when they won the when gold he medal it, he yeah. covered it with the, he covered it with the American Yo, flag because he was so a Nike petty. guy. I love how oh. petty he like I respect that level of petty. That shit is crazy. I mean go well just to stay on topic here going back to it. I don't it's He's not a sell. Well, the thing is, is like back then, sure, you can call him a seller, but right now you can't. And that's sort of where Who, I'm standing. Michael Jordan? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess at this point he is a businessman, but he, you, he, he somehow grew out of, yeah, he became not a sellout and became a businessman. So, I mean, I don't, you never see him anywhere. I don't know what kind of checks he takes on doing whatever behind the scenes, but you're only a sellout when you're in the front and I, Travis isn't really in the front like that either. Chris. Bro, wh- like, where is he though? What do you mean, where is he? He's nowhere. He's fucking nowhere. Bro, he went to McDonald's in a Lamborghini to get his Happy Meal once and then went home and then he hasn't been outside again. Yeah, but that's not the point. The point is that the that this idea that sort of brown, brand outpaces your, uh, your output of... He's a musician. That's what he is. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't really know what he music. is now. I don't know what he is now. He hasn't put out music since... Uh, he had one single come out, but what was the last joint he did? Uh, whatever that fuck that he hasn't come out with an album in a minute, right? Yeah. This is the whole point. My whole point is that, like, to me, it's just very strange when somebody who is sort of um, in the art world and in, in some capacity just does. This would be like if the fucking if if like. Bruce Springsteen all of a sudden was like, I I love Burger King. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> nothing goes better with a double whopper and a medium fry than a nice Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coke in the USA. Oh like God, you'd just be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You you <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense at all. Well You know what I mean? Well, okay, you know what? Hold on. I'm trying to remember what the conversation that we had before because I'm trying to remember the point. Baby, I was we making. were born to coke. <laughs> <laughs> we 
Family Report. He probably said that, but it was, he meant something different. Uh, um, well, okay. Wait, I'm trying to remember the points I was making to you before, and I think to sort of consolidate and streamline this, one of the things about Travis Scott that I don't think is him selling out necessarily is that black people now don't get the sort of like marketing opportunities that he's gotten recently in the past like three years. Okay. Fair. So I think it's hard to call someone a sellout when like you, you normally you can't sell out when you're that color of skin, you know? So to take a McDonald's deal like that, which is why I was referencing Jordan, the last person to do it was Jordan. Sure. Maybe he was selling out, but think about that gap, that opportunity to be the next person after Jordan to have a happy meal. Like how was that selling out when that, that's just a crazy monumental milestone. But are you looking at it as I'm the first guy to do this since Jordan? Or are you looking at this as like, holy shit, look at all this fucking money? No, you do both. It, it's the same. It, going back to Virgil, too. Virgil, like a lot of people hate on him for the stuff he's doing at Louis Vuitton. But like he broke a lot of barriers just to get that position as a black guy. Mm. There's a bunch of things like, yeah, it's it's all these little nuanced things that I see that I sort of respect. But like on paper, like, yes, I on paper, he is selling out for sure. I mean, like. Even uh, I don't know how inside you want to get, but like you know that this versus thing that's come up. We're talking about hip hop, oh, right. yeah. So like you know they get these two legends to like back and forth play songs against each other. The Gucci and um, Jeezy, Jeezy one. Yeah. Travis Scott made the merch for that. I'm sort of did he? Yeah, it's weird. So Is I'm Cactus Jack merch. Yeah, for Jeezy and Gucci's versus. Yeah, that's a little strange. All right, yeah, I mean. But so so here I'm trying to like catch, I'm trying to catch up to the conversation with you. Um, when I <laughs> okay, well no because I before I was saying that like he's not really selling out, but then I see stuff like this and I'm like oh he kind of is selling out now. So like right. th- it's coming to the point where like all these opportunities aren't as special anymore, and now he's just taking anything that's offered to him. Like dude, he made a candle. Like what? You're selling candles. You're <laughs> making um, other rappers events merch. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, 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 I just can't. I don't know. I, I, I'm obviously looking at this through my own lens and thinking about like, I guess when you're hot, then you can. I'm sure that candle that he made sold out in 15 seconds. Yeah, literally. Like, um, yeah. So I mean, I, I can understand like get the money while you're hot, um, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I just can't coming at it from the place where I'm at where it's just like I would I only want to do a couple of things and like I've learned that I fucking hate working you know <laughs> I really do I hate it I hate it I hate it I don't like it I don't li- I, I like I, I need just enough money and that's how I feel and it's like maybe I'm a fucking idiot for, for thinking that way but man I can't imagine like I can't imagine wanting to be the face of McDonald's you know, it's just so strange to me. But all right, anyway, we we've talked about this for for too long. This thing that happened seven months ago, did that happen in twenty twenty? By the way, the, the Travis Scott meal. Yeah, this year has been such a blur that I can't even remember. But you know, you're making me question it. But I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was this year. All right. Well, uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up were the sneakers at the inauguration. Obviously, the Dior ones uh, ended up on, I think it was Kamala Harris's uh, nephew, if I'm not mistake, mistaken, a member a, of her family. It was, yeah, it was at least her side of things. I forget. I read an article. See, you know what's fucked up is like, 
I don't even remember the article, but I do remember reading that someone gave him those Jordans, and I just got so mad I couldn't finish reading the article. Well, for the listener, they're, the Dior Air Jordan 1s are $2,000 retail. Yeah. What are they reselling at, Chris? Like seven grand right now or something. A lot of money. Uh, hard to yeah. get your hands on them, and yeah. you got to have money to get your hands on them. Um, yeah. But he wore them at the inauguration, and this is kind of considered a, a milestone mark in a lot of ways because usually the inauguration... You know, despite the fact that there are performances by rock stars and all this stuff, it's kind of a stuffy thing. You're well, an old white guy is usually putting his hand on a Bible and being sworn into office. It's like some shit that you see, you know, uh, it's really a very archaic tradition in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and now all of a sudden, this new, you know, our generation of fashion is sort of sneaking into the White House. Can even Kamala Harris wear sneakers? Yeah, she know? did sneaker shopping too. That's right. I didn't even, I didn't watch it, but yeah, she did the complex sneaker shopping. Yeah, she basically so, just bought Chucks. <laughs> well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like she can't get that crazy. She can't be wearing fucking like uh Barkley sneakers around uh no, no, around no, no, the White no, no. House, you know. But so do you think obviously like you've kind of maintained for a while and we kind of touched on it a little bit before when we were talking but do you think that this is sort of the direction that we're going into even in government because government is always they seem to be the last in terms of um, kind of scaling back style the the two places where it seems to happen last are the political world and the banking world yeah you know I can, bankers I, can, yeah, I, I remember I can seeing something about how goldman sachs was going to start letting their um their investment bankers wear khakis to work which was a huge huge deal because that's some shit that's normal everywhere else people were you know way more casual shit than that but they're gonna start wearing khakis to work and government's the same way people were wearing gray trench coats and black suits and black suits and all sorts of stuff like that. And I have this dude wearing literally got to be one of the most expensive pieces of footwear in the world right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, to the inauguration, it's and it's there. a pair of sneakers. So, I mean, going back to your, um, you know, politics is always the first one to, one of the, la- the first to last. get it last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lefties are always the the first of the political side to do it. Because they try to keep up with the kids. You know, they focus on, like, trying keep to get the, the kids, kids to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, you just even look at what the campaign was like this year for not only Biden, but just, like, other politicians. Like, AOC was playing uh, Among Us on Twitch, and it, like, broke right. records. Um, they always right. try to, like, keep in touch with us to be like, hey, look, we're relatable. Um, right. Well, yeah, because Republicans have no chance of doing that. Not even Their whole closely. platform is, we're your dad. Yeah. Um, but what's what's interesting with this inauguration is that they're ahead of being late. So, like, I feel like this is... They're, like, on trend. They're on trend. Whoa. I mean, well, you think about it. So, not only did that guy wear those uh, those uh, Diordans, but there was, I think, someone's niece who was wearing these, like, sisterhood mids. And... Yes. Yeah. It was... Uh, it was that was one of Biden's... Those uh, went up on StockX, too, though. 
Well, yeah. I mean, dude, this is the thing. I remember watching the inauguration, and as I was uh, as I was telling all the people in my life that we had a COVID outbreak in our apartment, uh, <laughs> I was I was watching it, and I remember I saw the 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 Dior ones. Like the dude was walking up the stairs, yeah. and I saw them in the background. I was like, "What the? F- who's wearing the Dior ones? Yeah, like who's flexing right now at the uh, the inauguration?" And it was like they're so recognizable because everybody else is wearing. Suits and 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 you know in Bernie Sanders' case he's wearing a a, a bubble jacket and mittens you yeah, know in, but like and uh, he's had the same pair of loafers for thirty five years he takes it to the same right. cobbler <laughs> right everything's the same on his end he doesn't right. fucking change at all so he takes it to the cobbler yeah <laughs> cobbles them himself <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean like it it is jarring to see somebody wearing sneakers at the inauguration and I'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily but yeah that that I can understand why they would go up it's like now there's adults who had no fucking idea that are probably just saying like do you see that guy wearing those sneakers you know yeah and they don't necessarily know the minutia any of it that that it's a you know it's a Dior sneaker and it's a Jordan or any of that stuff but I don't know. I I saw that and I thought that this was like, again, good, bad. It's it's hard to say. I don't know that it's better if if we wear hard soled shoes to formal gatherings because sneaker culture has gotten to a point where it's like it's so expensive to buy some of these shoes that uh, I think somebody made the point in GQ that yeah, if you're we're gonna wear the most expensive shoes that you own, you got to wear the Dior's. How do you not? You know, right. so I don't know. I, I think that that's like a, a, a good step. And maybe it is time for us to just like get away with doing this stuff. Why do we wear suits at this point? For I mean, you can ask purpose? that about anything. It's traditionally you formal wear. Like it just goes back to like, that's how things were done. Sure. And that's how things were. You know, now but at a certain point, you look at certain eras in history and it's like, we don't wear, you know, like we don't wear ruffles anymore. We don't wear fucking powder wigs. We don't wear, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other outlandish things that I've seen, but like the, just think about how people dressed during the revolution. Right. You know, it wasn't th- that long ago when you really think about this scope of human history and we were we've worn suits in some capacity i guess probably since sometime in the early 1800s till now but it's like you know let's say kamala harris becomes the next president because biden you know doesn't run again and you know however it plays out what if she gets inaugurated wearing like a like a blazer and like a t-shirt underneath it and you know chuck taylor's like would it look ridiculous? I don't even really think it would. It's how people dress. I don't think it now, would either. You know? But I think I think it goes back to kind of what I was mentioning before about the the lazy part. I mentioned lazy lux and how like this year people just kind of want to you know sweat pan out but look nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've always told you like I'm kind of built for comfort. I'm not really built for you know your little teddy bear. Yeah, I think the world is trying to like catch up to that idea because i mean if you look around now especially just because of covid um in general but everyone's trying to just be comfortable they're just trying to like relax they're just trying to, like why would you wear a suit yeah. in your house you know what i mean right what's the fuck i'm wearing a shirt with a collar right now and it makes absolutely no sense yeah so i mean but it's like i just wanted to feel like a uh human being today if you look- that's literally the only reason i should be wearing a a dirty new balance sweatshirt that i sleep in but 
I mean, if you if you look at fashion over time, I think it's always slowly gone to comfort and function. And but and right now, no one's functioning, so we're just going for comfort. Sure. I mean, it's fair. Uh, yeah. I mean, but yeah, yeah. Stick with that. No, I was about to go anything? somewhere, but I didn't know where I was going to go, so I cut myself <laughs> off there early. Well, I love that. <laughs> All right, we've had a nice conversation here, Chris. Christopher, I gave you, Christopher. I gave you a fucking like hour there, bud. <laughs> yeah, we really we went for a long time here. Give you a fucking um, hour. Where can the people find you? Um, I am on Instagram at not that Cheney, C H E N E Y. I got a podcast that was mentioned before called Sub Podcast, where me and two other uh, New York City comedians, uh, Luke Trevisi and Lawrence Deloach, we basically have the same conversation Mike just had, just well, way more well informed. <laughs> right I am just a spectator In this arena um, but, but you've been a guest On my podcast Everyone listened to that episode It was I have uh, It was actually like Similarly Pretty good No it was good But it was very similarly uh, With uh, It was when people Were burning their Nikes Because Collar and Kaepernick Melt well, you you know you honestly you know my wheelhouse. Yeah, <laughs> you know when to bring me on. No, I, dude, I that, it's that. just it's just crazy to think about like what we've just gone through, and then like you did my podcast from the first time this whole thing was happening. Yeah, it almost seems like it's never going to end, huh, Chris? No, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I think next time someone uh, kneels, I'll have you back on. How about that? I can't wait. I look forward to that. <laughs> uh, Chris Cheney, everybody. Chris, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Can we uh, can we kiss through Zoom? We're also going to run a poll on who has the better hair because we're both we're ready for a haircut. But <laughs> you're one of the only people in this game that can rival me in in the hair game, and I mean that. And that's you have to uh, you understand, bro. That's like fucking Wilt Chamberlain like giving a nod to <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you just like piece of shit. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> Uh, All right, Chris Cheney, everybody. To the listeners, please, if you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend. Word of mouth is the only way I'm going to become a millionaire by doing this show. So I really need you guys to come through on your end of this bargain. But we'll be back next week with another episode. Guys, I'm telling you, he really does need it. Please help him. He needs your... (laughs) He needs your... (laughs) Until then, goodbye. Mike Coscarelli Rules is hosted by Mike Coscarelli. Executive producer, Mike Coscarelli. Supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli. Edited by Mike Coscarelli. Sound design by Mike Coscarelli. Podcast and social artwork by Chris Cheney. Special thanks to all the losers and the haters. Haters.